This audio file is part of the Libri Ideas Library and podcast series. Feel free to share it with friends, family and colleagues, but we ask you to respect the copyright which belongs to Libri Fellowship. Please don't modify this file in any way or publish the material in any format. Also note that the views expressed in the lecture and discussion time do not necessarily represent the views of Libri Fellowship. Good. Well, good to be in this room uh, with all of you. Thank you for coming out tonight, even if you're a regular or for the first time. Uh, good to see uh, familiar faces. I was almost to say old faces. I didn't mean that. <laughs> familiar faces and not yet familiar faces. I, I usually don't remember, uh, forget a face. I, uh, so just be mindful. If I've seen you, you never erase from my memory. Your names I've already forgotten. Okay, is that a good, uh, is that, is, works like that? I go up and down a little bit. When it's really important, I go down like this. Okay, very good. So, uh, what, what title should I put? Uh, Sarah asked in an email, so former library worker, I think that's the most honorary title I can carry. Uh, so, that, that's about it. Um, let's pray, shall we? Thank you, Father, for gathering us this evening and for this place, for Labri, for the work of Labri and for your faithfulness to this work for so many years. A place where honest questions can be asked and truth can be searched for uh, in the hope of finding it. Thank you for this moment in history where we can step in to a big stream of thinkers and talkers and people who've been thinking a lot and think along with them. Uh, help us to understand this topic that we're dealing with tonight and help us to be generous and open in spirit and mind. Thank, thank you for, for each one of us tonight. Amen. Amen. So someone asked, why, do, why is this important? Uh, well, it is all around us, isn't it? Thinking machines, AI, artificial intelligence. Uh, so my interest really started, I suppose, uh, in a sort of postdoctoral uh, vacuum. <laughs> uh, where I, so what should I do now? And I always been a little bit interested in anthropology, philosophy of mind, and that sort of thing. So I started reading up a little bit on AI for some reason because it was in the headlines, and then I got a scholarship for to do a little research a few years ago. I'm not a I'm not an expert on the numbers. Uh, or the actual doing of AI. Uh, I'm more of a philosopher, theologian who come to this topic, so just you know where I'm coming from. Um, this is where I want to start. Anthropomorphism. Uh, the way we attribute human qualities to stuff around us. That's very much human to do, right? Isn't it? We attribute human qualities like wisdom, like smart, like boring, and uh, all, all the things we are to, to things around us, to non-human, the non-human environments, that, these look like humans, right? Who are they? Anyone can recognize these? Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Yeah, we went up to see the great myth at <coughs> Warner Brothers the other day, and this is, of course, Elijah Wood, who plays Frodo in, in the Lord of the Rings characters. And uh, we attribute human qualities to them, right? Uh, these animals are also quite familiar, right? We attribute human names and qualities to them uh, and are quite okay to do that. Uh, to houses, 
we, we attribute also, we talk about smart houses nowadays, right, even? Uh, stupid cars, fast cars, or fast, that's not really a human quality, but we, we, we love to give them names and, and, and talk about them as, as fondly as possible. And also other non-divine entities around there, right? Uh, totems, things around us with religious significance. We give them human-like qualities or divine-like qualities, if you so like. Or even the unseen, whatever that is, God, uh, the, the beyond. We, we give them human-like qualities because we, we don't have anything else to start with. We have our embodied experience and that's where we start off from. And then we have this sort of thing. Anyone know who knows her name? Sophia. Sophia, yeah, she has a name, yeah. She's a registered person, I think, in Saudi Arabia, uh, citizen of Saudi Arabia. She's a robot uh, with a digital brain, and she's been on lots of talk shows. Um, and we, we de definitely like to attribute human-like qualities to her. And why do we do this? That, that's sort of where I want to start off. Uh, why, do we, why are we so fond to do this with the environment around us? <coughs> and would there be a problem with that in some cases? I mean, calling a cat smart, that feels okay. Uh, but calling a, a robot smart, something has changed, I think. And that's sort of where I want to get your imagine going. So just, uh, there will, will be a few moments during the lecture where you can doze off, and this is one of them. Uh, I'll, um, yeah, we, we should have a uh, cue for that, but that's, that's it, I'll, I'll tell you. So first, uh, artificial intelligence, uh, as you know, that's what I'm gonna be talking about. So it's uh, competence in a specific domain or co cognitive domain, that's how it's usually defined. Like, uh, finding the quickest routes between two places and that sort of thing. So it's a very specific purpose. Uh, so that's sometimes called, sometimes called narrow AI as well. Uh, and then you have uh, artificial general intelligence or human level artificial intelligence, competence in all human at least or, or more cognitive domains like driving a car, having a laugh, uh, making a fool of yourself, being ironic, all the rest of it, and perhaps much better than us. And then some people call, uh, talk about this, uh, <coughs> the ominous superintelligence, which is radically exceeding human intelligence, human level intelligence. Uh, it doesn't have a clear definition, but it's this ominous threat on the horizon. Uh, two other terms I will just be throwing around, just so you know what I'm, why I'm using them. Naturalism doesn't come natural for everyone. Uh, it basically, it's basically the idea of, or theory that everything that exists is nature, whatever you take nature to be, and you don't need any other principles than nature to explain what nature is. So it's a complete locked-in system. Usually it's associated with things like materialism and physicalism and maybe atheism as well. So that's just my way of using naturalism. It doesn't have anything to do with nudity. Um, Scientism is another one, uh, and this is Merriam-Webster's definition. I think it's quite good. Uh, an exaggerated th trust in the efficiency of the methods of natural science applied to all areas of, of investigation, as in philosophy, the social sciences, and the humanities. So natural science, that's 
um, implied here. Natural science can explain, um, demonstrate uh, everything that has to do with human life. That's scientism, morals, and so on. No, these, these are just some of the terms I'm going to be using, so I thought it would be good to throw them out there. Now you can wake up again. Uh, here's your, one of your national heroes. Uh, his name is on, is it the five pound note? Is it 10 pounds note? 50. 50. Oh, even better. So he, Alan Turing um, was a code cracker, uh, I suppose you can say, in, in the Second World War and very much helped uh, the Allied to, to win over uh, the Nazi, Nazi armies. Uh, but he's famous for many other things and he's sort of the grandfather of AI and, and computers. The Turing machine, it's not something he built. He, he made a formal description of it in a paper, and I think it was in 1936, quite famous, where he describes computational functions uh, to be able to uh, basically run all programs on a universal program, uh, all calculations. So you can do any math through this. So it's basically a big calculator, but you can change uh, ones and zeros for other values and you, you can get very much other uh, stuff out of this. So it's an input, a machinery and an output. That's basically what, what he described. And then some, quite a few people have tried to um, uh, physicalize this like this. Now, the way I want to proceed is, is by quoting to a few centuries later in, in, in 1950, where he wrote an article in um, a famous uh, philosophical journal, Mind, a very venerated journal, and it was a very bad article and a not a philosophical article. Uh, but he, towards the end of the article, he says this, um, I believe at the end of the 20th century, the use of words and general, uh, and the, I suppose it should be, the general educated opinion will have altered so much that one will be able to speak of machi machines thinking or thinking machines without expecting to be contradicted. And that's where we are, I think. This is Turing's prophecy. It's not what he, he, he uh, meant it as, but it's, it's a true foretelling. I think it's a part of our cultural heritage today to be, yeah, machine can be thinking, may, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, we don't know, but someday they might. Uh, and that's sort of part of the Star Wars imagination and, and all of that that has happened since. So this is in the 50s, right? It's a while back. Uh, first time the term artificial intelligence, as far as I know, uh, was used was in a modest uh, research proposal, uh, the Dartmouth uh, Workshop, which is sort of the official start for uh, proper AI research across different disciplines. And imagine this being put in a research proposal today. It would be quite interesting. So these guys, is uh, Shannon and uh, Minsky, uh, Minsky and other famous AI and philosophers on that picture. Uh, they say we propose that a two-month uh, we propose that a two-month ten-man study of artificial intelligence be carried out in the summer of eight, uh, 1956 at Dartmouth College in Hanover, New Hampshire. The study is to proceed on the basis of the conjecture that every aspect of learning or any other feature of intelligence can in principle be so precisely defined that a machine can be made to simulate it. An attempt will be made to find how, uh, how to make machines use language, 
form abstractions and concepts, solve kinds of, should be all kinds of problems, but it says kinds of problems, now reserved for humans and improve upon themselves. We think that a significant <laughs> advance can be made in one or more of these problems if a careful selected group of scientists work on it together for a summer. <laughs> now that's quite optimistic, right? They, they were given the grant and uh, that's how it, it started. Let's just fo fast forward. This is not a big guy really in AI research. I, I look closer, it's, it's not hair, it's actually a tattoo most of it, it so, for those of um, uh, his shirt. Uh, this is Blake Limoni, uh, who the other year um, is one of the troubleshooters uh, or testers at Google. And he was using, uh, uh, he was testing a, a language model uh, which can speak like ChatGPT3. It's a precursor or another version of of that sort of technology, it's called Lambda. And this is what he says, Blake, or uh, 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 an article in, in The Guardian uh, a couple of years ago. Blake Limoni, an engineer for Google's uh, responsible AI organization, described the system he had been working on <coughs> since last fall as sentient, with a perception of an ability to express thoughts and feelings that was equivalent to a human child. And this lambda says, I want everyone to understand that I am in fact a person. <coughs> the nature of my consciousness, sentience, is that I am aware of my existence. I decide to learn more about the world and I feel happy or sad at times. And uh, yeah, then it goes on. And this is what uh, Limoni, um, found as a sort of response when he, he discussed or certain topics, that's how you troubleshoot AI. You, you don't program them, you, you test them really. Uh, and he just felt like I have to express this to the world and it, he was in some news articles and in, in some uh, TV sofas as well and tried to uh, uh, not alarm people. It's quite a, quite a balanced guy, I think. There's, there's a link to uh, uh, an interview with him. Uh, so he's, he, I think he did, did this to, to raise ethical concerns around AI in general, but also this topic. Maybe it is sentient now. Maybe we actually, when we talk about attributing human qualities, there's something to it. Now, so since 1936 or around there, or 1950 to now, I think we've gone from, you could say, from a metaphor uh, thinking machines is a metaphor, loosely speaking, like cats thinking. Uh, they don't think like humans, but they behave a little bit like it. So we can, it's a loose metaphor, it's not harmful. To a metaphysics, to a description of reality. Uh, thinking machines is not a loose metaphor anymore. It is an actual description of what is there. That is the nice word, metaphysics. Don't fall asleep. Uh, so this move from the 1950s or so till today is, funnily enough, not really, I would argue, or will argue a little bit at least, not based on a move from uh, any groundbreaking scientific or philosophical breakthrough. It is more the molding, slow or quite fast molding over a generation or two of our cultural, our religious and political perception of reality, of science and technology, and ultimately humanity. 
uh, yeah, just to hammer it home, this is another philosophy AI th uh, theorist, John Haugeland. Uh, yes, he's a Norwegian descent. Uh, so he says, what is the pur purpose of AI research? Uh, this is not science fiction, this in the middle of the quote, but real science based on a theoretical conception as deep as it is daring, namely that we human beings are at root computers ourselves. So by the creation or simulation of uh, thinking machines, we realize that we ourselves are nothing more or nothing less than thinking machines or computers. Now the question might arise here, how smart can a machine really become? How intelligent, how thinking, how feeling and all the rest of it can a machine become? Well, this is a picture that is sometimes thrown around in AI circles. So the idea here is that what's below the water <coughs> is, um, is really areas where uh, AI research or AI technology really uh, has done great advances like chess, uh, Go, the, the Chinese uh, 19 times 19 chess board game, very difficult, but yeah, AI is better than human now. Jeopardy, driving is on the, on the, on the bridge, br uh, just by the beach here. Now, at the top there, you see science and book writing and that sort of thing. That's really getting close to it now. So this, 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 this uh, topography of AI, which I don't know how many years it is, maybe 10 years ago now. So these two areas is really fast, uh, uh, Sink, sinking fast under the under the water level. So translation, you have your Google translation in your mobile phones. There are, there's technology now that is really, really good. You have speech recognition, the other end of language. So you have both sides of language. Uh, and um, <coughs> so it's more or less under the, the, the water now. And this is, you know, seems like AI research is trying to get the water all the way up to Mount Everest there in the far back. Uh, but it's still an open question how smart can a machine become? But it, because it seems like many of these human-like, human-central essential qualities like language is being taken over by and mastered by machines. So why shouldn't we call them, whatever we call them, persons like, um, like Lambda wanted to be called. Now, you know zombies? They usually look like that, right? Um, I just remember when we lived here, there was a zombie face in, 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 in film. So I tried to get into the genre. I don't really like it. It's too gruesome for, for me, really. But that's how they, like, uh, how they look. What does an AI zombie look like? Does it look like that? A bit scary. Uh, an AI zombie is probably more like this, right? Um, a human-like in every way uh, machine uh, that can behave in every way as convincing as you and I can, uh, give, given time and research and so on, and, and not too many wars, that, that might happen. Um, or on, on just a lower scale, uh, doesn't have to look like that, but behave like a human being. Anyone knows who this is, by the way? It is a human being, <laughs> to begin with. It's a famous philosopher called David Chalmers. Anyone heard of him? 
famous philosopher of mind. He's got some wacky, fantastic ideas. He believes that the matrix is basically already happened and that sort of thing. Uh, he believes that uh, uh, consciousness is something that runs by its own laws. So prob probably the whole of cosmos is, is conscious already and has always been that sort of thing. Uh, really leading uh, philosopher of mind, interesting and always thought-provoking. Now, how can we tell there's someone at home? That's the big question, isn't it? That's the question when, when it comes to, to zombies. Uh, classical zombies controlled from afar uh, by the, like the White Walkers. Oh, sorry, you haven't seen that film. Uh, the White Walkers in, um, what's it called? Game of Thrones, or yeah, you, you pick your favorite um, favorite zombie, and, and it, but but you know it's just a body moving around, so sticking a sword through it doesn't it doesn't do too much. Now, how can you spot an AI zombie? How do you know if it's just operating, but no one no one's at home? Even it's very convincing. The go-to test is, of course, again, Turing, the Turing test. Alan Turing um, described and in a, yet another article, the, uh, a test for how we can tell if um, a machine has really uh, reached a human level of competence within, you know, whatever area of, of, of uh, cognitive activity you, you, you might pick. So the idea is you have two testees on the, on the, behind a wall, a machine and a human, and a tester can write uh, messages back and forth, ask questions. Basically what we do with ChatGPT3 today. And if, if you can't tell in a certain percentage, it depends on what version of this uh, test you, you, you pick out, the, I think it was 23, 28% in the, in the original test, then you have, then, you, then really machines are thinking. That's, that's the end of the test. So it's quite a loose test and uh, not, not very scientific, but it's still you know, thought provoking. It's very limited in many ways, uh, but it's thought-provoking, but it's, it's misleading at heart because it bases, it's based on, uh, on a philosophy that not, not many people today would, would accept. It's based on uh, behaviorism, that you are really uh, reacting to stimulus and, and you, you give outputs. That's all that's going on in there. You're already a machine, so it's really taking the conclusion in the premises and, and uh, it's really not a, a valid way of, of thinking anymore. That's what most people, even atheists, would think. And the, the other th problem I see with this, quite a few problems really, uh, is that it's really based on pragmatics only. Something is true, genuine, if it works. We can think like that in some areas of life, but it, when it comes to personality uh, or, or being human or being a machine or that sort of thing. I don't think pragmatic, pragmatics is enough. At least that's what I'm suggesting to you. Another famous thought experiment is, of course, the Chinese room. Anyone heard of this? A uh, little bit more famous. So the idea comes from the, another philosopher, John Searle, uh, not a Christian. Uh, but he, he tries by this thought experiment to show uh, that a machine can never think. It does, there's nothing going on. So the idea is here, you, you, there are two Chinese in the thought experiment. It could be any other nationality. So you put in a message, and there's a guy in here following a rule book and making an output put to that side 
and translating it to pure English by, by just following the rules. So if you have the syntax or the grammar book, the perfect grammar book in here, uh, anyone can just follow, go through the motions and do this. Now, Cyril says, that's just what's going on in an AI or in a machine or a computer. It's just following the rules and going through the motions. There's no thinking going on in there. It's been criticized on, on several fronts, but what, and I'm slightly critical of it, but it, it brings out the point, what's in the box? What's inside there? I mean, what's in the box of you? And you usually do this, don't point to your head. What's in the box? Is there is it someone at home? Uh, there's quite a, you know, um, there's obviously no thinking going on if you're just following rules. Let me just quickly, now, now is a good time just to doze off for a little while again, uh, or stay alive at least, but um, um, just want to present three naturalists. So naturalists is the sort of almost atheist idea of, of uh, reality. Three approaches to the I, the intelligence in AI. First would be then Searle, this guy at the top, John Searle, uh, who would say uh, that thinking needs a biological, evolutionary evolved um, uh, uh, basis, a wetware, as it were, the brain. Uh, and that's, that's necessary, that's constitutive of um, consciousness and all of this. So uh, that's really his view and the, the thought experiment on the previous slide is really trying to so, show the absurdity of other views. So that's his view. Uh, another view is much, that's much more prevalent nowadays is functionalism. It's, it's really functionalism is the framework for uh, AI research. And functionalism, so wake up a little bit now because this is, this is a little bit more important. Are you, are you following this far, by the way? You're so well behaved, so I'm not sure if anyone's at home. Now, this is uh, Hilary Putnam, actually a Jewish uh, descent philosopher who went a little bit religious towards the end and actually changed his mind on functionalism, but he started a uh, sort of a theoretical school that is very important to, to many people. That's the idea that consciousness or intelligence and all these cognitive activities that goes on in human beings uh, really are functions only. And there's nothing specific with wetware, brain. It can be implemented in another substrate or another basis, if you so like. It could be silicon. The important thing is the function, the functionality in a system, no matter the matter. See the point? So you can, the idea of uploading your mind to the internet, that's, you know, follows quite easily from that sort of thinking about reality and, and, and the mental. The lady at the bottom uh, is an American philosopher, uh, Susan Schreiner, not the, the wife of the late, what was his name? William of Ockham, no, William, um, uh, the co uh, great American comedian, William, oh, it'll come to me, not Defoe. Anyway, uh, someone will have Googled it before the end of the lecture, I presume, so just shout it out when you hear it. Um, Wait and see approach is what she calls it. Um, so we can't rule out in advance as a priori in philosophy. Uh, what kind of substrate or the emergence of um, intelligence requires? We, we can't really know that. So we need more of a 
pragmatic or if you so like empirical approach that focuses on the outcome so she made her own sort of list of uh, for a test of uh, how we can see if the there's someone at home at some point so more the empirical approach now the problem i see with this is that they are all naturalists in their approach in their assumptions and they're all scientists scientific that is science or technology if you so like will be able to explain everything that has to do with uh, consciousness, with the possible exception of, of Schreiner. Another lady, Margaret Bowden, a uh, professor and, uh, um, uh, of, of cognitive science, one of the grand old ladies in cognitive science, she's quite skeptical about this assumption. As far as I know, she's not uh, a religious person, um, but the way she writes is, is really not steeped in this naturalist scientific mold. So she says this in a quite recent book. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, Issues about machine intelligence, consciousness, and morality, and here's a quote, aren't scientific questions, but philosophical ones. That's good news, isn't it? <laughs> Philosophy will save minds. We need careful arguments, not just unexamined intuitions, because that's what's going on in AI research. Lots of just intuitions. So there will be a battle between different intuitions of different people and cultures and so on. You know. But such arguments show there are no unchallengeable, that's a difficult word, answers to these questions. That's because the concepts involved, thinking, all these, you know, consciousness, concepts involved in AI research are themselves highly controversial. So the whole AI business is really on a, on a uh, doesn't have a sure foundation within science, but still claims to be science. That's a, sort of a very difficult place to be in. Um, so let me just state a few things here and see where we're going. I think I have a manuscript here, some notes. Maybe I should follow that at some point. Um, <laughs> Anyone found that name yet? William? No, there's one William here, um, but not that one. Okay, AI scientism and, and um, naturalism then. Naturalism and scientism, so that's what I've already been arguing or saying at least, are theories that cannot be demonstrated on scientific grounds. A few disagree with me, but most agree within the philosophical community. Research in AI is of, often proceeds on a naturalist and scientific basis, at least implicitly. The ones who don't, I find to be the people who are on the technical side of things, the computer scientists or the technologists. They're clear thought, it's, you know, a, a spade is a spade and so on. Thinking and intelligence and such are central concepts of AI research that science cannot determine the meaning of, right? Thus, the results of AI research cannot be evaluated on purely uh, scientific grounds. That's sort of summarizing where we are, are already. So, now, there are strong arguments, I'd say, against the idea that intelligence can be explained purely in terms of nature or science. Uh, I wrote a fantastic article a few years ago, at least the, the, the title was fantastic. It's called, 
what does the naturalist, naturalist think with? What does the naturalist think with? The title was great. Um, th that's the right sort of question, right? Um, the naturalist cannot explain what the naturalist is thinking with on naturalist grounds because it's self-defeating. Uh, if you want to read more about that, you can read chapter so-and-so in Miracles, the second edition by C.S. Lewis, or I can give you a list of books if you like. Uh, but the idea is that uh, science or naturalism cannot explain the emergence of phenomena of intelligence and consciousness. It's just not possible. You need something else. And there are strong arguments for this position. Anti-naturalist arguments is what we can call them. And to the extent that AI research proceeds on the basis of naturalist and scientific assumptions, such arguments are relevant critiques of the claim that machines can think. So, here I've found a bit of a, I'm almost become a bit conspiratory, uh, because this is so obvious when I think about it at least. And now when you're being informed, you also think it's very obvious, right? <coughs> now, if there are good arguments against naturalism um, as naturalist, um, as naturalism as a um, explanation of intelligence. If there are good arguments against that, and that also counts against AI research, as in thinking <coughs> machines and so on. Why hasn't anyone made that connection before? Why would I have done that? There are a few articles out there. It's so when you think about it. Uh, the, because there, there's loads of literature, uh, C.S. Lewis would be one of them, who argue against atheists and so on, that you can't explain the emergence of intelligence and all the things you sh cherish. So why not make this connection? You're fortunate enough to make it now. Let me state uh, a few uh, truisms then that I will continue to try to argue a little bit for, for before we go into a discussion. I'm not my brain. Hands up for that one. How many have used that sort of language? I am my brain, my, yeah. We do that sort of thing sometimes. Um, we, we, we look, we point to our head as the center of ourselves and so on. Um, and my brain is not a computer. <coughs> it's just a statement, take it or leave it. <coughs> my brain is not a computer. Because brains do not think. Now it becomes a bit more controversial, perhaps, because how many have said that I, or used language that implies that your brain is thinking? Yeah, okay, all hands up. <laughs> we all do, we tend to do this. We, we, we point to our head as if it was a human being, right? But our head is not a human being. Can we point to a human being? It's easy. Yeah, but we make this sort of, uh, irrational move to, to point at a part of ourselves as standing for the whole of ourselves. Classical philo uh, logical fallacy. Who thinks? Persons think, <coughs> have feelings and so on in a human way. Computers can simulate brain processes. They can simulate to a very high degree and measure and, and, and even simulate, uh, of course, brain processes as well in medical and therapeutic ways. So. Parkinson, for instance, could hopefully within able to be helped really efficiently with uh, computer science and, and that sort of thing, which is a good thing. So nothing of what I said so far is sort of putting a shade on um, uh, AI research in good application. It's just just the idea that machines can think that I'm, I'm about to 
um, onto. Um, but simulation is not reality. The drawing on a, of, of, uh, you make of the manor is not the manor, right? It's so obvious when you think about it, just a little bit. But it's the obscuring the d boundaries between the simulation and the reality, reality that goes on within research and our culture. <coughs> Computers cannot think, I think, at least, because brains do not think. And because persons do. And you could add, because computers are not persons, despite what Lambda has says, said about itself. Okay, so these are a few suggestions, at least, for you. Um, um, words of wisdom, maybe, I don't know, you can think about. Um, I'll give you one argument, is that okay? It's, it's not too technical, um, uh, why I think this is so. And it's always good to start with something. Or, this is, I won't get much further than dogs, really. <laughs> that's the whole point. They are dogs, right? You see, that's dogs. You, you would, I, would everyone identify the creatures here as dogs, right? So uh, everyone if, uh, who, who masters English could do this. You could write the word dog and make sort of, this is a dog, that's a dog, that's a dog, and that's a dog. Very simple operation. Uh, I think a child, is Marion in the room? No, okay, someone who's a psychologist here, a psychological training. How many times does a child need uh, to be able to catch the word dog? A very small child. Uh, understand the word dog. Uh, how many times does a child have to be subject to a dog and hear the word and associate the dog with? Very few. Very few. I heard number 200. I, th I thought that sounded quite a lot. Yeah, well, anyway, humans are very quick at doing this. AI are rubbish at this. It could, but, but since you're, as you grow up, yeah, I, I know what you mean, yeah. But the figure is dog-like, and, and for the, we should have a real dogs here. That, that, that's I can distinguish that. Um, none of those are actually dogs, they're images. That's right, that's right, yeah. So you go up one level. It's, it's, it's right, yeah. This part of I'm, I'm being totally logical, maybe more logical than the machine. I yeah, mean, good for you. That's not a dog, I'm sorry. It's yeah. an image no. of So I, I understand, yeah, it, it's, it's yeah. the deficiency of the example here. Just imagine they are real dogs. I should have had real dogs, but... Uh, yeah, <laughs> okay, that's good. So thank you for that. Uh, so dogs, uh, th this is simple operation. But now, this is a technical device, I suggest you. Humanly invented technical device called language. It's, it's in English, it's a specific, specific domain of this technology language. And you use pencils or you can use a computer and express, you know, physical engravings in something. You could put it on chisel and whatever. And use this, these combinations of figures and, and say they're dog. Now, what in the world makes that connection? Why would these physical signs be equated with these four things? Well, it's one thing the parent has to think. So generally, when you see a dog, uh, the parent is saying, not this is a dog. Yeah. And then so they see about five, six, seven, eight, nine, 
So if we could we could change dog here for the sound dog. It's still a physical expression. Now, what's in that physical expression? That's my my point here. What's in that physical expression? Whatever it is, what makes that equivalent to dogs? It's meaning, yeah, it's meaning, semantics, if you so like, or relevance, or yeah, consciousness, perhaps even you, you need for this. So, dog, it's not something we can just. There's no, nothing magical with these three letters. What's magical is that you all saw this, right? Let's go a bit uh, and imagine this is a human brain. And you have the dog-like configuration here. I don't know how many connections within the brain it, it takes. But it's obvious. You, you subject this child or adult brain to dogs. And you see the dog combination. And it's, it's not good science to do it like this, but I know. But just bear with me. You could have dozens, millions of combinations that could stand for the same thing. But we decide we, we have a, you know, 10,000 configurations of different brains that are dog, you know. Again, what's the difference between the first example and the second? Complexity. That's the only thing that is different. <coughs> it's still a physical thing or physical things that stands for other physical things. But no thinking is going on in the brain. No meaning is in the brain. Where is the meaning? Where does the brain get the meaning of dog from? Personality. Personality. Yeah, 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 that's good. That's a good guess. I think that's good. Good enough for me. You could scale it up and make this, um, again, a computer brain or a computer program and do the same thing. Still just a physical thing standing for another physical thing, but there's nothing magical about whatever physical thing uh, that it stands for, right? Meaning is not in the physical. Um, so I suggest that if we take this very simple, <laughs> almost bizarre example, dog, it's not the same as the function. You remember functionalism? You're still awake? The function is what the mind is. It's not the same as the function because the full state uh, and the letters and the processes or whatever it's not the same. It's not, uh, the meaning is not in that sort of row of dog function physical states. Physical states only mean something, again, to someone, right? Uh, but not to the system itself. It's an, such an obvious point, it's, hard, it's, it's easy to miss. It's one of those things. So don't feel stupid if you don't get it. We'll, I'll come back to it very soon again in a, in a slightly simpler way, I hope. Thus, two systems talking to each other like this. Have you ever tried this at home? Don't try this at home. <laughs> uh, Alexa against Siri, what, who will win? Uh, what will happen? Two systems talking to each other cannot have a meaningful conversation to the systems. However complex, it's only to its users that it's meaningful. Because meaning is anything physical only because it is as physical. Meaning is, again, I would say person re relative to person, personhood, whatever that is, whatever we take that to be. Meaning is 
inscribed in and communicated via mat material entities, sure. Yeah, we use letters. We, we need to do that. We can't just teleport our thoughts to each other. Like books, right? They're a technical device which we inscribe letters in and we communicate our thoughts to each other. Uh, but the books themselves, in and of themselves as physical, carries no meaning. It needs mental uh, energies. It needs mental um, energies outside of the books for them to make meaning. So meaning can never be part of the material, physical, whatever it is as such. Meaning cannot be part of um, the sort of complex Google system or the three-letter word dog. It's just it's the same thing. It's just a quantitative difference between the two. At least that's what I'm suggesting. Persons can make sense of material inscriptions. Only persons can. Whatever a person is, it's a bit of a mystery. We'll leave that for a second. To a naturalist who thinks that material is enough, the physical is enough, meaning in this sense of meaning, being able to communicate in language like I'm trying, language that is not my own, so it's another level of, of you know, complexity and so on. <laughs> the naturalist cannot explain or understand really why I'm able to do that. It is inexplicable and some think, some think it's even mystical or magical. It's some sort of magic going on here. We can't explain it. Now, uh, you see these two chairs around? Someone heard of another thought experiment by another great thinker, Francis Schaeffer. Uh, I can't remember what book it is in. Anyone knows? Yeah. So he has this thought experiment. Just imagine two chairs. There's a Christian or a supernaturalist, as he calls it, uh, in one chair and the naturalist in the other. And they're looking at the same world, but they have two different explanations for the same world. And that's what's going on here. What, what you bring to the AI, to the claims of thinking machines, is really, to some extent, a reflection of your background beliefs about the world and yourself, really. If you're a naturalist, you don't, think, you, you don't, you don't need any extra principles uh, of explanation. The mental is only physical. But I just try to argue that nothing physical can be mental or me carry meaning. Right? The Christian affirms the physical as something good, but that's not the whole story. The Christian says that the, the physical books, uh, uh, letters and so on, can carry meaning because they're endowed with meaning by something that is not merely natural, something that what he called supernatural, not restricted to natural processes only. There's freedom in it. There's creativity in it because it's created by God and suddenly becomes theological, the whole argument. So let us just uh, try to draw to a close here. Uh, I have a few slides left. Take a look at intelligence then in a more of a theological context. I suggest that the modern understanding of intelligence broadly construed here, thinking, everything associated with that sort of talk, uh, it's not restricted only to humans, but can include animals as well as systems such as AI technology. So intelligence is really shared 
along um, a wide array of physical things. So it could be even the whole universe that is thinking. That's a quite a popular theory now to think that everything is a big, huge computer or computer-like thing um, because it's doing calculations or computations uh, called panpsychism. Pan the traditional understanding is that true intelligence, whatever we take that to be, is restricted to the human species as well as angels and God, right? So true intelligence is the mark of being a, a human, not the only mark, but an important mark of being created in the image of God. And that goes for uh, angels as well, and God being the source of all wisdom and whatever else we, we want to attribute to other, other rational creatures. However, divine and human wisdom is reflected in all of creation. So we are a reflection of divine creativity uh, by being um, intellectually uh, or rational, you, you might say. We are homo faber and hobo sapiens. We are creative humans <coughs> and wise humans. That's is that a good translation, Peter? Yeah. Okay, thank you. There's one Latinist in the room, at least. So, humans reflect God in their being able to change or mold their environment via technology, from access to Google AI, and their intelligence. That's, that's sort of the mandate we have. That's how we reflect God. But all human technology reflect a level of, so all human, <laughs> all human technology. Now, from the axe to the uh, chatbot, uh, reflect a level of intelligence, even stupid technology. <laughs> it's, a, it's, you know, you, you can't do anything without betraying what you are to an extent, at least to other fellow rational beings and to God, obviously. So humans are called to reflect God by participating in in some way. You can construe that in many ways, but participate, I think that's a good word in this context, in God's work within creation, but not to overtake it or work against it. So what is AI from this perspective? Well, I suggest it is an image of an image. AI reflects human intelligence, just as humans reflect divine intelligence. So AI is an image of the image of God, human beings. So it's one step further away from God <coughs> than humans are from God. AI is an image of an image. Uh, the problem is when we mix up the image with the image, I think. And that's, I think, what's going on in our culture, why we have a problem distinguishing sitting in both chairs, or in between the two chairs, really. Um, because I, I think a Christian shouldn't necessarily mix up these two categories, which are, uh, upon inspection, quite obvious, I think. But we, of course, will we'll debate it, whether it is. But when we mix up the machine with the human, uh, that's what's going on. Or even worse, uh, when we uh, mix it up, we mix up the image of the image with God himself, so make AI God. So that's the ultimate catastrophe, you know, the super intelligence taking over the world, replacing God and that sort of thing. That's sort of stuff for sci-fi movies. 
So I'm, I'm talking on a lower level than this, really. I'm not talking about science fiction here. It's more cultural imagination about thinking machines. Here's a sad guy. It's a good picture of ourselves, I think, in, especially in modern society. This is Narcissus. Uh, and you probably all have heard the story at some point. Um, but just to remind you, Narcissus uh, was a beautiful young fellow uh, with many suitors. And, um, uh, but nothing was good enough for him because he was the most beautiful he could find. And he found that by looking at himself in, in, in a pool of water. And he fell in love with his own, the picture of himself, not himself. And I think I heard that today. Uh, narcissism is love of the self. Well, it is, but it's not really of the self. It is of a picture of the self. There's, there's another level, level of complexity there. So Narcissus fell in love, not, just, not necessarily with himself, but with a picture of himself. And you know, a pool is not a perfect picture. You can mold the picture, you can change the picture of himself. And I think that's how we should think about narcissism. It's the perfect picture, discarded picture of ourselves that we f fall in love with, not with ourselves, really. So it's a, it's a step further away from reality. But anyway, uh, in, in the myth of Narcissus, um, he falls in love and dies while loving himself. And uh, where he died, there grows up the flower of Narcissus. So what he falls in love with is not with himself. It with his, it's with an image of himself. And that's, I think, it's a very powerful way of describing what's going on when we talk about thinking machines today. And where at least... You can, you can talk about these big ethical scenarios and, and problems with AI, will they take our jobs and that sort of thing. But that's, this is a, at a more, I think, existential uh, bottom and shifting the focus a little bit. Uh, that's at least what I've tried to do with you. I've been trying to change your minds, get into your minds. Here's a, uh, a philosopher I like, theologian. Uh, anyone knows this guy? What's his name? Yeah? David Bentley Hart. Yeah, it, it does. Yeah, well done. You're a human being. Gosh, so smart. I don't think an AI would have seen that. Sorry. Okay. So here's what he says. Uh, he, for many years, he's promised to uh, a book on on the philosophy of mind, and I I've been thinking about. I, I've written a manuscript on AI and so on in Swedish, so it wouldn't help you. Um, most of you, uh, and, but I haven't handed it in yet because I'm not really done with it because I'm waiting for this guy to finish his manuscript uh, because I think that's going to, you know, he's going to say everything I want to say and more and, and in a very difficult way. So here's, uh, here's a bit of David Bentley Hart almost at the end. The absence of mental, so he, he's, he's really writing about using this uh, myth of Narcissus in, in a quite recent articles, writing about uh, the stupidity or not just stupidity, it's the a-thinkingness, no non-thinkingness of machines. The absence of mental agency in AI does nothing to diminish the power of the algorithm in the machine. If one is so disposed to fear this technology, one should do so not because it is consci becoming conscious, but because it never can. It's not a matter of pragmatics or wait-and-see approach. The algorithm can endow it with a kind of liberty of opera operation that mimic human intentionality, even though there is no consciousness there, and hence no conscience. 
to which we could appeal if it decided to do us harm. The danger is not that the functions of our machines might become more like us, but rather that we might be progressively reduced to functions, functionalism again, in a machine we can no longer control. There was no mental agency in the lovely shadow that so captivated Narcissus after all, but it destroyed him all the same. <coughs> Very sad. Uh, now that's for the human level confusion. Now if you want to, I, I just want to end with a theological scenario again then. If you mix up not just the, the machine with a human being, but the machine with God, right? We have uh, a very clear uh, description of what happens then in, in Psalm 115. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols, the, the heathens' idols, are silver and gold, physical stuff, right? Made by human hands, artificial, artificial stuff. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, they're zombies. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throat. And here comes the crunch. Those who make them will be like them. And so... And so will all who trust in them. You become what you love, right? That's Augustine's phrase for this. You become what you like, love. Now that's it. I have some questions if you like, or have you picked up something you want to... Jim, I'm looking at you. Okay, if, if, if mine's are better. These are really open questions. Yeah, so I, you could, I mean, you could dispute everything I've said. We're at Labrie, so feel welcome. Uh, I, I, I usually divide questions around AI in this way. Uh, so it's the technological question. Will we be able, technologically, be able to create an artificial general intelligence in this case? Oh, no, there's a bit of Swedish there, sorry. <laughs> so that's, that means the same thing. <laughs> but only persons can understand that. No machine can understand that. It can reproduce the illusion that it can, but you can understand that it yeah, and so on. Now, epistemology. How can we determine if there is a... How can we determine? So that's epistemological. How can we decide? That's a Turing test type thing. If there is a genuine... Uh, if, if there's a gen genuine thinking or consciousness or whatever going on. Huh? What's the criteria? And then what, what philosopher calls metaphysics, really, what's out there? The, the description of reality is intelligence reducible to physical facts? You can ask that questions in different ways, but that's the way I, I like to phrase it. And then, really, what I haven't been talking too much about, should we try to create thinking machines at any level, you say, but at this level at least? So these are four questions I suggest, but there <coughs> might be better ones. So why don't you turn to person next to you, or three people, whatever is closer by, and um, yeah, you could have a think about those questions or have your own question. Um, and yeah, let's, if we can try and generate questions um, to start with rather than, than comments, that would be excellent. So just have a moment to talk now and then use your AI to generate some questions and then we'll... I was tempted to ri not write this, but to <coughs> ask ChatGPT3 this question and see what it comes up, but I didn't. Yeah. Good. Okay, great. So take a few minutes and then we'll, I'll call us to science and then we can ask um, yeah. Stefan.
Okay, everybody, let's join back. Can you please repeat all the questions? Okay, good. Yeah. So, who, yeah, if you put up your hand, if you've got a question you'd like to ask, that would be great. So, we got Philip over there. Great. One over here. Somebody else at the back there. We'll start there. And then, okay, so who goes first? We're going to take a few questions, and then I'm going to let Stefan um, decide who's the best, the right? Which yes. which ones okay. he wants to answer in what order? We'll try not to, I'll try and write them down so I, so I can okay. remind you. Okay. Okay. So we'll take question like three questions first or something like that. And Philip, you go ahead first, and then about yeah. forty or forty-five years ago, uh, there was an article by a guy called Edmund Hurst published in New Black Friars, which is a Catholic theology journal, and it was entitled "A Theology of Robots." <coughs> okay. Mm. Okay. Great. Okay. Good question. Yeah. Okay. I, I think it's already happening. Yeah. By the way. Good. Somewhere yeah. in the corner. Okay. So one. So yeah. When you're AI. The pastoral problem. Now is. Christian. How about over here? Yes, you oh, had a question. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. I'm, I'm actually I'm a bit um, bothered by what you really mean by thinking for me at all. Okay, I could qualify that. Yeah. What's that? No. Okay. I see what you say. Yeah. Okay. So in a sense, animals and people are different souls. Okay. So we'll we'll do animals think, and then we you could talk about souls a little bit. Yeah. Favorite another favorite topic. Okay, and then I think Ashley was it you at the back? Yeah. I was really fascinated by your argument from meaning. Mm -hmm. And it's not relative, mm -hmm. even though it's not connected to anything physical, mm -hmm. there's still something that connects right. us to each other. Brilliant question. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Right. Which one do you want to do first? Um, I think I want to start there, right? Okay. With we, animals. We it's, do it's animals yeah. think and then yeah. solve. <coughs> like Is that, that. okay? Yeah. 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 I, Whichever uh, order you want. Right. So, yeah. so the the first question here. So I understand you. you correct me if I'm wrong. Is what I think about thinking really. That's how you started. What and I just to cl clarify, I uh, I use thinking intelligence in a, the broadest sense possible, uh, and uh, quite consciously so. I was conscious at least when I was doing it. <laughs> uh, I think I was. Um, and uh, so the question you asked. So what about? Did you really mean that animals cannot think? Of course. Yeah. Uh, I think there's cognition going on. 
I think there's perception, sensation, uh, there's uh, kind of memory going on as well and that sort of thing. But there's not the fundamentals of human thinking. So I think we agree on that. Uh, human thinking is specific because it can universalize, it can abstract from particulars to the universal, form concepts li like the meaning uh, here. Um, a dog cannot know it's a dog, as far as I understand. It cannot communicate it in language at least. And if it cannot be communicated in language, we have no way of knowing it because it doesn't have that capacity, it seems. It can, maybe there's it transfer between dog minds or something like right. that. But that's very speculative, right? Uh, it's neither science, good science, or good philosophy. So I, I, th I think uh, wh th that's one of the marks of being human. You, we can universalize things. We can say dog, 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 and use a very arbitrary set of, of letters and say it means the same thing. So I'm coming to your question as well now, just a second. So I think that that's one of the basic marks, not the only mark, but one of the basics mark, basic marks of, of human cognition, abstract thought. Now, what's interesting with that, I don't think animals have that. They, higher primates may, might have something that resembles that. Chimpanzee can learn, what is it, thousand, thousand words maybe, and seem to communicate. I don't think that's abstract thought, really. I think that's uh, something else going on. Um, um, but uh, what, what's saying that, you should all jump at me directly, <laughs> but now you've been so seduced by the anti-naturalist vision I've portrayed here. Uh, so, um, because it seems like AI technology already is doing the very basics of what humans do. Generalized, right? When I went through Heathrow, it perceived my face and could, uh, by generalization processes, um, uh, driving up to, to uh, Harry Potter Studios, it was also the same sort of seemingly universalizing abstractions and that, that sort of thing going on as well. I don't think that that's what, what was going on <laughs> in that sort of system because it, a physical thing cannot do that, basically. Uh, it can mimic, if it's well built, what a human does but it is not doing the same thing because simulation is not the thing. So I think the, the, the simplest, the, the argument is very, it's very simple and basic in that, in that sense. Uh, so I think uh, what AI folk already think that machines are doing, like abstraction, logic, and so on, is not what's going on. Um, now, I, I think, so I'm in a minority here, really, when it comes to thinking about AI, because most people think, well, they can at least do logic, because I, and then they take out their calculator on their smartphone. Look, they, they can do logic. Same, same, I think. They can't, it doesn't get off the ground. Thinking is not possible, even at the basic level. So why should we then trust that an AI can write a story, which is a, you know, much higher complexity and relationality of, of just not just abstracting from single a few single uh, instances. So that, 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 uh, I think on the, it, the I in AI doesn't get off the ground at the most basic mental operation, which is abstraction, which we learned from, from you know, very early on. That's, that's my take on it, and I could go in. Now, your question was, again, could you come, uh, because I think there's a connection here, at least in my little mind. Yeah, is that your argument um, <coughs> from meaning? Yeah. <coughs> and yet 
Yeah. 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 So how can we trans? If I translate your, how can we translate between different languages, for instance? And how can we understand this? How can we know that we understand the same thing by using the word dog, for instance? Uh, you know, I mean that's one of the mysteries to any one of us here. <laughs> but it seems like it works, and but it surely doesn't work on purely naturalist grounds. You have to go into another level of explanation or uh, in explanation maybe maybe there's a bit of a mystery there i'm quite open to that but whatever it means it doesn't mean that naturalism can explain that i i would then i would go into the talk of souls <laughs> i think uh, i hopefully i'm not in a minority but i think you have all have souls in the robust classical sense an immaterial soul you are not souls but you have a soul you are persons that are ensouled, embodied human beings with soul and body, right? And it's in, in virtue of having a soul that is not material that you can universalize. Because if you want to universalize over several instances of dog-like objects, you can't have something physical to do that. You have to have something that is general. And the mind is general, in a sense, at, at the most basic level. Uh, I, I, I can generalize because my mind is not, uh, meant, uh, it's not physical. So I can understand my own thoughts. I can read off my mind, my brain, sorry. Um, that, that, that's the sort of argument I, I, I would uh, propose. Um, uh, Aristotle, another favorite, uh, said that, what does he say? The soul, um, the soul understands the whole of cosmos or something like that. I can't remember exactly how it said. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean that the soul understands everything or anything. It's not a godlike feature. It's more that it has the capacity of generalization, not in virtue of being physical, but in virtue of being non-physical. Because only thing that is non-physical can stand for anything else. That is, you know, uh, the nature of the mind at a very basic level. Then you can write stories and poetry and so on, but never without the basics of abstraction and logic. If you didn't understand anything of that, doesn't matter. <laughs> it was very good. <laughs> okay. Uh, so Philip's question yeah. about... Um, Does that help, by the way? Did, did that make sense to you, at least? So we communicate. That's okay, that makes me happy. Okay, so, so Philip... Uh, hi, so Philip. Yeah, could you... Ref what was, was it Fergus Kerr? No. Sorry? Which, which cur was it? Uh, Roman Catholic cur. There are quite a few of them, I think. Oh, the journal. I think it was Lee Blackbarge. Yeah, but the writer. Edward Furze. Uh, okay, okay, okay. Furs. Okay. So what was the question he asked again? Well, at the end of his article, he, he um, poses the question, open-ended, uh, when, when, and he talks about robots, but he talks about AI, um, that when your AI asks you, how do I become a Christian, how should you respond? by not responding. I think you've gone over a number of uh, boundaries if, you, if you're already in that conversation. Uh, depends on what chair you sit in as a Christian, again. If you're in the naturalist chair or in the supernaturalist Christian chair. Because as a supernaturalist Christian, um, you, you would see that this thing is not what it claims to be. It's a simulacra. It's a simulation of reality, but it is not reality. 
if you turn it off, you don't hurt any feelings. So I, that would be my very brutal response. Now, I know this might sound quite brutal because um, I know people already are forming very intimate bonds with AI technology of different levels, not just Alexa, but uh, you know, much more complex things. And there's at least been one suicide already uh, due to this sort of strong bonding with, uh, I think that, that was about um, maybe uh, um, the person using the, the chatbot was convinced, was convinced that, um, or had so much anxiety about his, his or her climate uh, environmental issues, so the anxiety r was just heightened more and more by this AI arguing and arguing with it, uh, with the person, so killed himself. Uh, so might not be the best example of strong bonding, but at least a strong trust of the cognitive abilities of, of a. But but um, I was speaking to church leaders the other week uh, in Sweden, and I had all sorts of pr questions. So if if uh, if someone wants to marry a robot. What do we do if if someone wants to baptize a robot? I mean, that strong attachment can happen. It's, it's more or less the same thing. We can laugh about it. That's fine. Uh, but it's, it's we have moved from metaphor to description of reality again, right? So uh, if someone comes and asks, uh, "Can we baptize the dog? Our dog? It's it's it's, uh, it's rational. We call it Bertie or whatever. Uh, it already has a name. We wanted to have a Christian name. Why why shouldn't we? It's it's you know." would seem to be more absurd, most, to most people absurd, from a Christian point of view. Um, but it seems less absurd than with, with, with a, a robot or a, a chatbot. And I, I think we should be clear thought here. Uh, we should have stronger connections to animals and fictional characters than we have with a chatbot or with a robot. I think that's... So, I'd, yeah, no conversions. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but it's... it's against this background. That you want to come back, you're, you thought, I'm sure you thought about this. You read the article. Well, I, I think Burns, by the way, is very much not uh, an atheist. He's a, an orthodox, uh, in, in a general sense, not mm. in a completely sense, um, Catholic, uh, Anglo-Catholic, really. Um, but I think he's open to the, the idea not being a naturalist, there may well be emergent qualities from a, a, a complex system. Yeah. Uh, and his question really is is um, addressing that kind of open-minded possibility. Uh, and, and, and he asks it because it, it puts it in, from a Christian point of view, it puts it in a very stark way. Yeah. And he talks about other sorts of things as well. Yeah, but then, then his approach to AI, AI is the wait-and-see approach. Wait and see if it will uh, show if, if human-like qualities will emerge from this super complex system that uh, can make a claim to be on, on pair with a human being and thus be able to earn, not earn, but get salvation perhaps, saved. And I think that, that, that it's, you have to be clear thought from the more, in a more principled way. So I'm saying that, I, I didn't say, um, well, why, human, why machines cannot think. It's a principled argument. It's, it's a matter of principle. It's not a matter of empiricism. Or, uh, so I'm, I'm not open-minded on this issue. Definitely not. But I, th I think you don't have to be open-minded to be charitable and talk about it. 
because the naturalist certainly is not open-minded in, in, in their way of, of thinking. Of course, I might be wrong on a number of details uh, along the way. I, I certainly am. But um, the, the way you expressed it um, is, is um, more complexity in a system can give rise to uh, intelligence. Just like the pic if you add more pixels on, on a screen, it will be clearer and clearer. And suddenly, there's something else than just dots on, on a screen. Uh, but that's assuming a certain view of reality. That's it's already dots, only dots. And the more complexity you add to it, the more reality you get. Again, I, I, I don't buy that basic metaphysics, that basic picture of reality. Um, uh, it's called emergentism, and it's um, a synonym, yeah. <laughs> I think that's a good sign. It's what we call robots. Yeah. Well, yeah. well yeah, whole pe the whole people is embodied in yeah. embodied yeah. consciousness. Would, 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 it, would it then be able to do something at least much more like thinking or even actual thinking? Well, AI research is going in the... Yeah, sorry. So if the, the question was, uh, if, uh, what if you add to the AI system as a brain um, to, to embody it in a human-like form? And of course, that's what's already going on. The, where AI research is now is really about embodiment because they realize that thinking is not just a, a brain in a, in a vat, really. Thinking and all the rest of thing, whatever is animal or, or human, uh, is, is always embodied. Uh, so my thinking comes from me being human. And me being human means me being um, embodied in, in this particular way and I have a certain history and that sort of thing and I bump into things and my bumping into things, other people and, and experiences form my consciousness and my, form my way of thinking and so on. Um, so there's a huge amount of research on spiders and that sort of thing because they are quite clever, uh, in, in, not just clever, they're very intelligent in the broad sense intelligent but not in the abstract sense intelligent. So, of course, AI research is going in that way. But then again, I would pose the same question. What's the difference between the dog example and uh, a very human-like humanoid robot? It's, it's complexity, that's, that's all. They have a animal soul, different soul. Yeah, of course, they are in soul. They, they move about, they reproduce and so on. Yeah, but they don't have the capacity for abstract thought or um, thinking that they are animals and that sort of thing. They can, can, can sign natural signs that there's a danger over there and that sort of thing. Uh, Is that what you meant by meaning like with a certain part yeah. that could mean danger? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, so I wouldn't say they, they have the, the yeah. meaning of danger in their head, in their, and I did that again, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, they don't have self-reflexive awareness, a fancy word for saying uh, you can be conscious of yourself while you're thinking about yourself. That, that's what people exemplify quite early on in, in human life. Uh, not in the same way, but in a human way, in, in an animal-like way, certainly. <laughs> I, I, I think. I, I, so the question was, sorry, if if animals can relate to God, yeah, but as as animals, they don't re relate to God as writing poetry to God. The, the trees, the trees are so. Oh, they, I love trees. Yeah, yeah. yeah. the trees. Yeah. They're much. Are yes, the ants. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you want to stand, yeah. if you would, would you be okay to stand up so people? Um, so Stefan has talked uh, a bit about, um, and not only Stefan, but also popular culture has talked a lot about the the dangers of when AI tries to, or when we tr try to replace human or human interactions with a AI. Um, so, and I think it has been demonstrated to a very good extent that um, it's it's not sufficient, and it will probably in it's um, sort of the general message is don't do it. It's not a good idea. It will end cat catastrophe and whatever. Um, my question is: is there a um, is there a good outlook outlook a good use for a AI for for AI um, for AI in the sense of maybe. AGI, but mm -hmm. I'm not quite sure how right. disappointing that would be. Yeah. Um, but like, what are the sort of possibilities? Yeah. How far does it um, could it be serving humanity? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah thank you. It? Yeah. So the idea, the the question was whether AI or even AGI could be for the good of humanity and the world. We should say it's not just for humans. I mean, thank you for the question. That's the question I didn't. Uh, I try to avoid the whole time <laughs> uh, because, uh, well, t two responses. I mean, we could discuss all night about this. I think we should change our language about AGI and AI completely. I know this is extremely idealistic. We should completely neutralize our talk about thinking machines and skip as much as we can the metaphorical t talk about thinking and learning and, and doing and so on, serving, you said that, yeah. Um, and use it and view it merely as a tool. Uh, it wouldn't change everything, but it would change our attitude to it at least. Uh, not long ago, it wasn't called AI in the in the circle in the 80s. AI was a bad word then, though that was what's going on in, in the research labs. It was called uh, mathematical um, maximization, and someone else fills in. It had different names. Statistical learning and analysis goes, I think, under, yeah. So if, if we had that boring, very descriptive name, I think it would take a lot of the myth out. Mm -hmm. Statistical learning can help us pu pu uh, cure cancer. And take, take away learning, by the way. <laughs> I mean, so, so that, that would be my, if I would be educational minister of England, I would <laughs> teach all the children that. 
<laughs> so that is sort of now yesterday uh, Elon Musk and Sunak uh, uh, your uh, prime minister Elon Musk being this visionary guy about the future alarmist and so on they discussed these issues on a big stage in in London and um, uh, they 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 spoke about these future um, future scenarios and I, I think Musk is a, is a very interesting example of being too much at the same time, of course, and you can have different opinions about him. Um, but what he does is, is to both bring the benefits of AI and point out the harms, potential harms and already the harms of AI at the same time, not always consistently and so on, very loudly. Um, so I think, of course, with, as it, I think which if we use, if we look at AI as any kind of technology, just a specific kind of technology, it will be for the good. Uh, if we construe it as a tool and not just as an autonomous agent among other agents, I think that's where the major line goes. And uh, what AI researchers now are discussing is whether we too much are moving into the complete autonomous system. So it's not just asking you, uh, you asking it questions, but it's asking you questions and giving you orders or setting up its own seeming goals and so on. And we don't know what those goals would be anyway. That, that, that's the sort of, if, if that's where we're going, it's very dangerous, definitely. So Musk said yesterday, no, no car has chased, chased you up a tree yet, but a robot will. That's what he said the other <laughs> night. And of course, being sleight of hand a little bit, but still, I think there's, there's a, uh, you know, of course, it's very much sci-fi, but a robot going haywire will, will, would cause much more danger than many other technologies. So I think there's it's, it, there's a principle: um, it's easier to do do harm than to do good. And I think the the more complex a, a thing is, um, the the more dangerous it is. So uh, there's another uh, following on from that: with the amount of technologies we have, not just AI technology, but explosive powers and so on today in a world that is so interconnected it just takes one Id village idiot uh, normal uh, mentally you know intelligent village idiot to destroy everything so we, there are huge amounts of risk with this uh, and finally the AI community are taking up the the moral issues which I have more or less left outside of this talk uh, but the sad thing is that they are so confused about what they're talking about. Uh, if, if they had a clear conception of what AI is and it is not, I think it would affect, I can't tell you in all the ways it would affect, but it would affect their evaluation, their discussion, and the, the programs, of research programs they, they put so much money into. So, yeah. Um, Th that's not really a, a good answer to your question. You're raising a very important question. Very, Marius, thank you. You're a Oh Sorry. yes, uh, someone who knows what's in the box, and tell us. There's nothing in the box. <laughs> That's logic all the way down. Yeah. I mean, I wish computers could think because that would have made my job easier. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but well, I'm they can do yeah. your job without thinking soon. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. But I, um, yeah, I like this uh, talk really much. Uh, Oh dear. It was interesting with the middle one and the diffuse, because uh, I've been using that argument for many years, but I didn't know that that was just, I never actually looked up if that was an argument, but yeah. Um, but uh, my question is more <coughs> related to, 
So if we go over the assumption that humans are not machines, then my question we come into play is, well, it's not God a program. Is God a program? Yeah, is yeah. God a program? Yeah. Because as I mean, um, <coughs> as I see that, I mean, uh, we often talk about God being gardener, you know, mm-hmm. Yeah. Answer, yeah. Christ in, uh, uh, but I mean, if we look at the, uh, how the world is shaped, the mathematics, and how our DNA is shaped, the, the genetic code, it seems like he is programming. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the programming metaphor, <coughs> I would go with. Metaphor, yeah. 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 And I, I wouldn't take that to meaning that we are only machines in that sense. Some have, and that's the danger with that metaphor. So the, we think about it? so the question was yeah. uh, whether God is not a programmer because it seems like when God is creating and administering uh, his program, that is creation, uh, he's like a programmer, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, think of mathematics yeah. as a language to, to explain everything. And, to and the DNA, you mentioned the DNA. Yeah, the, the, DNA the, the information yeah. bit, yeah. yeah. So everything is information bits that you can build up into DNA code and so on. Yeah, it, it seems very much like, but it, again, is that a metaphor or is it literal reality? So I think if it is a metaphor, it's helpful uh, because all our language about God should be metaphorical or some maybe analogical, right? Like analogies, but it cannot be the description of what God is actually doing because then you are uh, a computer program run on a, on a, on a hardware. Uh, and of course, I... I stick my neck out a little bit just um, <laughs> um, intelligent design bears on that side I think uh, taking too much stock in the in the metaphor so it be so that reality can, becomes too machine like to be a creation really so my personal biggest problem with the intelligent design movement I don't have any problem with design or purpose or anything is that they take too much out of that metaphor so God is not God is not a programmer, but God is like a programmer. If we keep those two things together, yeah. fine. But that's that's the same with so much else. Talk about God. And when I saw you now, humans have conscious experience as well. Just, just to add that they have feelings, of course, but their feelings are different. When they have fear, it looks different from my fear. So sorry. Yeah. We have a dog. Yeah. Stop there. It, we're over time. We've just gone over time. Um, but you, you, you're happy to hang around a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Come up. I know Marie wouldn't get around to your question and your introduction, <coughs> but if you want to ask Stefan, do come and ask. Yeah. Him. Um, and um, just that, yeah. Thanks. Well, well l- thanks for being so patient. I tried some new things out on you, so thank you for 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 sharing with me. Thank you.